right. Had to get used to the clicker there. Are we recording or should I record from over here? We're good. All right. Okay, well, let's get right into it. We are now in week two of a new session that we're doing called How to Change. How it is that we should uh, change as believers. How do we grow? How do we become uh, sanctified in our lives? So what we wanted to cover last week when we started this series on how to change is that God does care about change. And God cares about us changing because he wants us to have as the greatest motivation that we could possibly imagine, the greatest purpose of life, the greatest goal that we could ever have in life is glorifying him, is glorifying God. And God wants us to change to glorify him so that the rest of our lives would naturally change as a result of that. And what we were really trying to iron home last week is the fact that in our nature, the way every single one of us was born into this world is that we don't care about God's glory and therefore we don't want to change. That is what it means to be a sinner, that we don't want to glorify God and so we don't want to change. But what we were looking at last week in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1 verses 3 and 4 is that God is actually going to help us change because God actually cares more and is going to be more powerful in our fight to change than even we are. And the way God is going to do that is he's going to show us his glory in his grace, which really means that God has given us the gospel. The gospel is the beginning of the pathway to change because it gives us hope in Christ that we can change and not so that we can be right with God. So we're not becoming better people. We're not growing in holiness because we need to earn salvation. That's not why we're changing. But we are changing because God has already given us salvation in Christ. We are already perfect in Christ. He lived a perfect godly life that we should have lived but couldn't. And so Christ lived it for us. And all the sin that we have done, all of the ungodliness in our lives, all of that we can give to Christ who has punished all of that sin on the cross. And now we can enjoy life by walking close to him, being invited into his presence. And just like a Cheeto rubbing off on your fingers, you grow close to Christ. You go close to God through Christ. You become like God. You become like Christ. That's the ultimate pattern of change. And it starts with the gospel. And if it's going to start with the gospel that we are already perfectly right before God because of Christ, that all the glory we could ever give God has already been given to God in Christ, that actually leads to some natural questions. And it actually really leads to some questions about why we even need to change at all. And I think one of the most obvious questions that we could ever ask actually is asked in the Bible in Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 6. And obviously, Romans chapter 6 is about halfway through the book of Romans already. So here's a really quick synopsis of Romans chapter 1 to 5. Here's the synopsis. The gospel. Romans is about the gospel. And in the first part of Romans, uh, chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is trying to make it expressly clear that we are sinners, that we don't want to glorify God. Everything that we tried to cover Last week, he explains that whether you are not religious at all or whether you believe you are super, super religious, every single one of us, by nature, we do not want to glorify God. But what he explains is that the gospel actually makes sinners right before God in that God demonstrates his glory to us through his grace. And all of that comes to you, a perfect life in God's eyes. That's all yours by faith simply believing in Christ. He explains that in chapter 3, verse 22, when he says, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. It's all about faith. And for the rest of those chapters, all the way to the end of chapter 5, Paul is trying to explain how amazing the grace of God is. Everything is grace. Everything in your life is all a result of God being gracious to you if you're a Christian, which means even as you come to Christ as an ungodly sinner and all of your sin is forgiven, it's all good with God. Grace removes all of your sin and you look righteous in God's eyes. And so he explains it this way by saying grace reigns. Everything is grace. 
And when Romans chapter 6 starts, Paul asks a super, super normal question, which is basically, if I'm already good with God through the gospel, does my life actually need to change at all? Which is a fair question, and he asks it in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, where he says this, what shall we say then? He's saying, what's the response out of all these five chapters that have come before? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Now, the word continue, what he's talking about is, should we keep staying in something? Should we keep doing something as a normal habit? Should we remain the way that we are? What he's basically asking is that if God always forgives me, does that mean I can just keep sinning? If God has forgiven all of the sin I've ever committed, can I just keep living in my sin? If there's no consequences for sin, does that mean my life can be just sinning all I want? Because the more I sin, according to Paul, the more I'm forgiven, and the more I'm forgiven, the more gracious God is. And this is his response at the beginning of Romans chapter 6, verse 2. By no means. Not at all. He basically says no in the strongest way possible. My Greek professor used to say it this way. Um, if you're a dude and you walk into a coffee shop and you see um, a girl that you want to ask on a date and you talk to her and she says no, there's three ways she could say no. The first is the polite no. She could say, no, thank you. You seem nice and everything, but I'm too busy. You know, um, I, I don't know you. Um, thank you very much, but I'm good. So that's the first way. The second way is the sharp no, which is, no, I don't know you, you're weird. And then she gets up and like walks away. So it's the polite no, and then like the sharp no, and then the third is the you're insane no, which is she throws her coffee in her face, screams in your face, runs out and calls the cops. That's the third no. And the third no is the no Paul uses. So someone asks, if God's already saved me through his grace, can I just keep sinning? And it's like he throws his coffee on your face and then he runs out and calls the cops. He's like, this person's crazy. That's Paul's response. He wants you to know as seriously as possible, that's a crazy thought. That is an unacceptable thought. There is no way you should accept the gospel and then keep sinning. And I think most of us kind of know that. Like if we actually thought about it, we're like, yeah, like if God forgives all my sin and then I don't do anything with my life, that feels very ungrateful. That's kind of like taking advantage of God's grace. That feels wrong. But Paul wants to explain it's so much more than that. It's not just that you don't sin because you don't want to be ungrateful. It's not that just that you stop sinning because you don't want to take advantage of God. It's not just that you're thinking differently now. It's because as a result of accepting the gospel, you have changed. Who you are has changed. The old attitude you maybe used to have about taking the gospel as a get-out-of-hell-free card is dead. Paul is going to explain that the person you used to be is dead. The kind of attitude by which you approached sin no longer exists. That is what Paul is going to talk about because the problem with being a sinner isn't our behavior. It's not just that we do the wrong things. It's that we are the wrong people. It is who we are. What we're talking about is a problem of identity. Everything we are is sin. And what Christ is going to explain, what Paul is going to explain to us, is that Christ is going to change how you live after he changes who you are. After he changes your nature. And the way that changes is this. Paul says, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. This is a huge thing for Paul in all his teaching in the New Testament. Um, the words in Christ, in him, or in the Lord are so important for Paul that he says them 164 times in the New Testament. 164 times because Paul wants you to know how important it is to be in Christ. And the rest of Romans 6, actually, from Romans 6, verses 2 all the way to verse 14, he wants you to know that as well. Specifically, between uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 2, all the way to verse 10, he's going to say no three times. He's going to say, you need to know something three different times, verse 3, verse 6, and verse 9. There's something you need to know. 
and he's going to explain the whole thing multiple different times in multiple different ways, and we're going to break up that section, verse 2 to 10, into chunks. But the whole argument is always the same. In verse 2 to verse 10, you need to know your new identity. You need to know your new identity. And I want you to hear this same truth in many, many different ways. And so as we break it up into chunks, I'm going to tell you a phrase that Paul wants you to tell yourself, a phrase that he's telling the Christians in Rome that he's writing this to. You need to see these verses and you need to tell yourself this because it's true. And the first chunk of that in verses two to five, this is what Paul wants you to tell yourself if you believe the gospel. He wants you to tell yourself, I was baptized in Christ, so I know I have a new life. I was baptized in Christ, so I know I have a new life. Now, Paul begins that in verse 2, setting up actually this whole chunk by saying this, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul begins by saying, your identity used to be living in sin. The quote I shared with you last week from J.C. Ryle is true, that when we were born into this world, our sins are like our children. We hug them, we delight in them. But in Christ, Paul says in verse 2, we died to sin. Now, the rest of this chapter is going to explain what it means to die to sin, but essentially it's this. Your relationship you used to have with sin doesn't exist anymore. Your relationship with sin has changed, which means sin is something you don't want to live in. Your attitude changed. You don't feel comfortable sinning. You hate sinning. And that has happened because of your new, close connection to Christ. And that close connection is explained in verse 3 as a baptism. He says you were baptized into Christ. Now, when we say baptized into Christ, the first thing we think of is water baptism, right? We think of the tub and someone going into the water and then coming out, and then everyone gets excited and claps. And if that is exactly what he was talking about, putting you in the tub... I swear, at the end of this sermon, everyone would run up and be like, throw me in the tub. This is how it happens. This is how it changes. And that's not what he's talking about because water baptism is a picture on the outside of something that happened on the inside. It's something that everybody gets to see, a reality everyone looks at that actually represents a spiritual reality, something that has changed. What the word baptism means, the verb that he uses, means immersed. It means going into something, being really closely connected, really closely associated or united with something else. And what he's saying is you're so close to Christ that your identity, everything about you is associated with Christ. Now, when I was in high school, if you asked me what music I was listening to, nine times out of ten, I would have told you the same musical group, which was Maroon 5, easily my favorite band ever. Now, if I walked on the street and talked to Adam Levine, who's the lead singer of Moon 5. And I said, Adam, I love your music. I love you. You're like the best solo artist I've ever heard. He'd be like, what are you talking about? And be like, I love your music. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I know you love my music, but I don't have like a, you can't look up like Adam Levine and find all my most popular songs. You look up Maroon 5. Because every time you talk about Adam Levine, you're basically always talking about Maroon 5. It's like the same thing. He's always associated with that. And what Paul is saying is that when you accept the gospel, it's not just part of you. You get into a close association with Christ that's so close that in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, you've died and your life is in Christ. Everything about your new identity is in Christ. And what Paul is going to push home is that that is so important because whatever happens to Christ happens to you. Whatever happens to Christ happens to you. And he explains what happens to Christ. Verse 3, he says, we were baptized into Christ's death. And verse 4, he says, we were buried with Christ and we were baptized into death. And verse 5, he says it again, we were united with Christ in a death like his. Christ died, fact. You're in Christ, which means fact, you're dead. And the reason he's saying that's so important is because if Christ's death guarantees your death, it also means that Christ's resurrection from the dead is also guaranteed for you. You have also risen from the dead. Verse 4, Christ was raised from the dead 
by the glory of the Father. And verse 5, he says, we shall certainly be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. What Paul is saying is that being in Christ means the death and resurrection of Christ leads to a death and a resurrection in your life, a death to the power of sin in your life. Your old nature is dead, and he has given you a new life. And verse 4 really explains the whole point of that in verse 4. He says, we too might walk in newness of life. When you become a Christian, it's not just that Christ is commanding you to change against your will. He's promising you that your will itself changes. Christ changes you on the inside so you don't want to sin anymore. It's a radical shift in your heart, a radical shift in your attitude. Christ changes the way you want to live. And even though the outside might look the same, inside everything is completely new. And the whole Bible talks about this. In Ezekiel chapter 36, 26, he says, we have a new heart and a new spirit. Six times in the Psalms, the psalmist says, we sing a new song. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that you in Christ become a new creation. And Galatians 5, 17 says you become a new creature. Ephesians 4, 24 says you become a new man. And Revelation 2, 17 says you have a new name. Becoming a Christian means becoming totally new. And the way the Bible normally talks about this is a theological term called regeneration. That you've died and you've risen from the dead. That God made you new, your nature, on the inside. And the other term that's sometimes talked about this is the idea of conversion. And that idea is the idea that you've realized that there's been a change on the inside. That your attitude to sin has changed and so you start responding to it by making your life about Christ. There's a very poetic way that a lot of people talk about this, and I think it's an appropriate phrase. This is the phrase. Being Christian is becoming who you are. It is becoming who you are. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Everyone who hopes in Christ purifies himself as he is pure. So in Christ, before God, you already look pure. You already look clean. But now as you realize that Christ has got something totally new in your nature, your life is slowly starting to catch up. You are slowly starting to realize that for the first time in your life, you can actually clean up the sin in your life. Spurgeon had a really famous illustration of this, and he talked about the difference between a cat and a pig. If you look at a cat, it's cleaning itself up. It like licks itself clean. And it does that because it's a cat. That's part of being a cat. But imagine you go to a pig who's rolling around in the mud, just having a great time, and you say, pig, you need to clean yourself up. There is nothing you could do to make that pig enjoy being clean because it's a pig. And its very nature is enjoying being filthy. And what God is explaining is through the gospel, you're not just saved, but you're changed from a pig to a cat. For the first time in your life, you can actually clean up your mess because you've been given a new nature. Spurgeon continues, he says this, Just as with a cat and a pig, so it is with an ungodly man. You cannot force him to do what a renewed man does willingly. He cannot learn the art of holiness because he has no mind to do it. His nature leads him another way. But when the Lord makes a new man of someone, all things are different the new nature follows after right as naturally as the old nature wandered after wrong. And then he ends with this absolute truth. What a blessing it is to receive such a nature. Imagine how many times you've told yourself this when your parents or me or someone else in your life has told you to stop doing something wrong. You might say, I really want to forgive this person in my life, but I just can't. Or maybe you say, I just can't stop being angry with this person. Or you say, I know this thing I'm doing is wrong. I'm gossiping. I'm frustrated. I, I lust after things, and I just can't shake it. And what so often happens for Christians, and what definitely happens for non-Christians, is really they're trying to do something 
for the non-Christian, they've never actually been able to do. But in Christ, when you believe the gospel, what he's saying is you actually can do that for the first time because you've died to sin and you're in Christ. Again, Spurgeon says this, and this blew my mind the first time I heard this when I was in youth group. Spurgeon says, Christ came away to take away sins in three ways. He came to take away the penalty of sin, which is hell, and that's normally the only way we think about it. But Christ came to take away sin in two other ways. The second way is to take away the power of sin. The power of sin. It's control over your life and your decisions. And the third way is that Christ will come again to take away the presence of sin. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. And what we're talking about here is the second one. That the control of sin over all of your decisions is now gone because of Christ. Now, Paul's going to say that exact same thing in a new way in verses 6 to 7. And here's the statement that Paul wants you to tell yourself in verses 6 to 7, the second statement. It's this. I was crucified with Christ, so I know that I'm free from sin. I was crucified with Christ, so I know that I'm free from sin. Now, Paul says the exact same thing he's already been saying in verse 6. He says, your old self was crucified. And then he repeats it again in verse 7 by saying, you are the one who has died. And the reason he's repeating it again is because he just wants to keep adding more details to get this really stuck in your head. So there's three more details he says in verse 6 to 7. The first detail is that the body of sin was brought to nothing, which means your body of sin is kind of like who you are. The fact that you were born into this world so attached to sin that Normal life was just being in sin. All of your decisions were in sin whether you knew it or not because you didn't care about God. What Spurgeon says is that being human and being sinful is like labeling the ocean salt water. It's just obvious. But in Christ, God's plan is to change your inside motivation so that your outside actions aren't about sin anymore. Romans 12, chapter 1, he says it this way, that you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what he's saying is, previously, your body, everything you wanted to do, was about worshiping yourself. And God has changed you so that you can worship God now. It's actually possible. And the way he's doing that is the old way you were, it says, your body of sin, in verse 6, was brought to nothing. Now, some translations say, destroyed. And that's actually not a very good translation because it sounds like sin doesn't exist anymore. And we know it is, and we're going to talk about that later. But what he's talking about right now is that your body of sin is powerless against you. It means that its strength is taken away. It's been deprived of something. Something before in it is now inactive or inoperative. It's ineffective. And the thing that's powerless is sin. So every time sin pops up and says, you should do this, the Christian for the first time in their life can say, I actually don't need to do this because I don't want to do this, so I won't do it. That is your body of sin being brought to nothing. That's what it means to have been crucified with Christ. That part that liked sin was nailed on the cross just as guaranteed as Christ was nailed on the cross. He says that again this way in verse 6, that you're no longer enslaved to sin. You know what a slave is. It's someone who is bound to someone else's authority. A slave has a master. They only do what their master wants. Our master was sin. Our master was ourselves, which is kind of weird to think about. When we were born as a Christian, our nature was that we couldn't help but be stuck in a jail cell with sin holding the keys. But we were so corrupted in our sin that we actually tried to dress up the jail cell and make it look comfortable. So even if the jailer's sin gave us the keys, we wouldn't want to get out of the cell. And that's just who we were. But when Christ came into our lives, he not only opened the door to the cell, but he changed us so that we would actually leave it once the door was open. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says this, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You didn't used to want to glorify God, but now you can 
Because not only the power of sin over your body was removed, but Christ bought you back. We are designed to worship something. And through Christ, we can now worship God the way we were supposed to. But Christ is not like our old master. Our old master was a terrible master because Proverbs says the way of the sinner is hard. But now in Christ, we have a new master who has introduced himself to us and has said, just like Christ says in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Now, the whole world is obsessed with telling people, especially Christians, that they are in such a closed, captured system that they say they feel free because they can do whatever they want. But the reality is it's exactly the opposite. And it's so important to know, so he says it again in verse 7, you are set free from sin. The real people in bondage is the rest of the world that refuses to acknowledge that they are bound for hell and they are comfortable with that. That they were never designed to worship themselves. And so as they do so many things about inside of them and what they do outside of them is just spiraling out of control and they can't get out of it. And Christ has provided a way of escape for that. Jerry Bridges says it this way, Every person in this world who is a true believer has died to sin. We are not to die more and more unto sin because we can't possibly die any more than we already have. One thing you'll notice in verses 2 to 10 is every time he talks about you being dead to sin, he's not talking about go and die to sin. You better die to your sin more. He says this is a past tense. All of these things have already happened which means if you believe the gospel, this power is yours already. Paul's going to explain that a third way and really nail home how important this is and that this third chunk in verses 8 to 10. And here's the statement Paul wants you to tell yourself. And it's the exact same with just different words. It's this. Christ died once for all, so I know that I'm permanently with him. Christ died once for all, so I know that I'm permanently with him. So what Paul is trying to say is that as easy as it might think that you become a sinner saved by Christ, even if you believe that, what happens if I just start wandering after sin again? Doesn't that mean that I was in Christ and now I'm not in Christ anymore? Can I ever become an unchristian again once I become a Christian? And Paul is trying to say, absolutely no way. When you have become a Christian, when Christ comes into your life, it is impossible to get out of that because that is how powerful the love of Christ is upon your life. This is permanent. He tries to push that home in verse 9 by saying, Christ will never die again. So in the same way Christ only needed to die once, it's the same way that your old nature is permanently dead. And he says it again. In verse 10, when he says, Christ died once for all. Now, that might not be very spectacular for you, but that was huge for Jewish people who had a massive Old Testament background that we don't really naturally have. We don't grow up with it. In the Old Testament background, every Jewish person knows that every time you give a sacrifice, there's always going to be another sacrifice. Because being a worshiper meant I keep offering sacrifices, I keep taking my livestock, I keep taking my fruit, I keep taking whatever I have, and I keep giving it to Christ over and over and over again. But the problem was that system was always supposed to show them that your sacrifices are never going to make God happy. You can never do enough to earn a place, earn a relationship with a perfect God. So Christ came and died how many times? Once. One time. There will never, ever have to be something anyone will have to do to be right with God. It's all been done already by Christ, which means this. You are permanently free from sin's authority in your life. You're permanently free from the control of sin. This baptism you've experienced is full. You are fully connected. You are anchored. You are in an unbroken union with God. Like two metals being fused and welded together, that is your relationship with Christ now. You will always and forever be in Christ. Now, all those three statements, verses 2 to 5, 6 and 7, and 8 and 10, they're all saying the same thing. 
They're three different ways of saying the same thing, which is, this is who you are. You need to know that. If you are in Christ, you're not just saved, but you can change because you're free from sin. And it's really strange then, because after verse 10, you get to verse 11. And after Paul has made this unbreakable case that you can finally say no to sin, this is what he says in verse 11. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And it seems weird that he would say, well, you better consider this in your life. Kind of sounds like, Paul, didn't you just say this is a fact? So why do I need to do anything? If this is just a fact, it's a fact, right? And the reason is because just because the truth is true in terms of information, that doesn't mean that we naturally believe it or that Christians actually take this truth as their own. The word consider means how you personally view yourself. It's asking about your self-identification. Paul is asking and asking, not what you know intellectually, but what you believe personally about your spiritual condition. He's saying, do you agree with what God is saying? God is saying it's true. Do you actually believe it's true? And that's a good thing to tell us. Because tell me if this is true or not. So often, the reason we don't actually believe that is because we still struggle with sin. Right? Raise your hand if you struggle with sin. Good. So do I. So when we live our lives, and there's some sin that we commit, or there's something we do that we know is so wrong and so bad, we think, okay, I need like a tactic, I need something different, or God is mad at me. As soon as we sin and we really feel the guilt of it, something goes off in our brains, something gets weird in our hearts, and we're like, am I even really saved? That is exactly what Paul is talking about. Because especially for us, so many of us who grew up in the church, we hear verses like James chapter 2.17, which says, faith without works is dead. And then we look at our works and we're like, I'm not really growing very much. I feel stuck. So if I'm not doing a lot of good works, I must not be saved. Or we think, I should change quicker than this. I, I just became a Christian. I believe the gospel. I'm not changing very quickly. So maybe I'm not saved yet. Or there's this area, this one sin in my life that I just can't shake. And if I can't shake it, if nothing's changing, maybe I'm not saved. So this is what Paul is trying to tell you. And this is verses 11 to 14. This is the second thing. He already told you you need to know your new identity. And now you need to accept your new identity. You need to accept your new identity. Because we don't. And I think as he goes through in these verses, he says at least four more things that can help you really not only know the truth, but actually believe the truth. Here are some of the four things I think that might be helpful for you who might struggle with sin and really need to know that this is true of you if you believe the gospel. Here's the first one. Number one, you need to trust Christ. You need to trust Christ. Faith and trust are the same thing. Paul says this in verse 12. Let not sin reign, therefore, in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. We kind of get the differences between believers and non-believers mixed up a lot because we, we think about the outside. So we see nice people in the world and they're doing really kind things and maybe we think they've got good motivations and we say, maybe they're a believer. No, so much of the way we judge our own spiritual condition ends up being the same. We go right to behavior. But that's not the difference between a believer and a non-believer. The difference isn't the fact that you become a believer and then you stop sinning or you change overnight. That's not what it is. It's not even that you don't struggle with sin because Paul's going to go on in Romans 7 by saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a Christian, and I struggle with sin. The difference is your Maybe I can say it this way, three different ways. The first is your attitude to sin has actually changed. It means what's going on in the inside when you see sin is different than the way you used to see sin. John Owen said it this way, sin is a burden that afflicts us rather than a pleasure that delights us. 
to change is how you think about sin. If you don't like sin, if you want to change, that's already a good indication that something might have changed. The second thing is that your attitude towards Christ has changed. So lots of believers don't like certain bad things in their life too, but they don't call it sin because they don't care about Christ. But for you as a believer, after seeing the glory of Christ in the gospel, you love Christ. That's the next thing that changed. If someone asks you if you're a Christian and you say yes, it's because you know what Christ has done for you. You know you'll be with Christ forever, that you will worship God around his throne, and that's exciting to you. That has changed when you become a Christian. And the third thing is this. You will slowly realize the power of sin in your life has changed. There's actually lots of ways, if you believe the gospel, that you actually are different. Now, you might not be aware of all of them, but if you truly believe the gospel, if you don't love your sin and you do love Christ, there are people around you who will be able to identify different things in your life that have changed. And not just in your actions, but in your attitude, the way you see sin in your life. Hopefully, you will be able to see and be encouraged by people who can tell you that there's lots of ways that sin has told you, obey, and you have said no. John MacArthur says it this way, sin no longer calls all the shots, and that's why it's so stupid to sin, because you don't have to. I never really have to sin. I'm never a forced sinner. I'm never a victim of some wretchedness that is inherent to me that isn't conquered. Because in Christ, my sin, the power of my sin is conquered. And the reason that feels hard is because we still feel temptation. Listen, we've got a lot of sermons left to cover temptation. But this is at least one thing I can tell you. Just because you feel the pressure to sin doesn't mean the power to sin is still there. Just because you feel the presence of sin doesn't mean it still has power over you. A really famous pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones had this illustration. He said, imagine um, being a Christian and non-Christian is like being a farmer in one field and another field over here. So there's field over here, non-Christian, field over here, Christian, and the only difference is a small road in between the two of them. Now you used to work as a farmer in this field as an unbeliever. But then Christ, over here, yelled at you and said, hey, Satan is in charge of that field. You come over here. And then he guided you through that field, across the road, and into this new field. And now you're over here. But Satan is still in this field. And that field is only separated by a small road in the middle. And so even though you're in this field, you're in Christ's field, you hear Satan yelling at you from across the road. And he starts saying, hey, you should start do this thing. You should do this. But the reality is just because you hear Satan commanding you from the other field, you're not in that field anymore because he's not your master. So just because you can hear his commands does not mean you need to obey his commands. And what Paul is telling us here in verse 12 is that when you believe in Christ, Christ has changed the field you're in. And just because you hear the commands of Satan doesn't mean you don't have the ability to ignore those commands, because you do. So you need to trust Christ. If you believe in Christ, you need to receive all the benefits of Christ. You need to believe that when Christ says, you can say no to sin, you say, yes, God, I believe what you have told me about my relationship with Christ. I don't need sin. Number one, you need to trust Christ. Number two is very similar, which is you need to remember your purpose in Christ. You need to remember your purpose, your goal, your life motivation, what your life is about. Verse 13, Paul says this, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, here's the truth. Here's something that's very true. We can so often be stuck in sin because we wake up in the morning and we forget why we exist. We forget what being a Christian is all about. You can wake up in the morning and your first thought is, what do I want to do today? 
and you start going and doing life without thinking about God's eternal purposes for glorifying himself, and we just kind of run into whatever sin we bump into. And you know why that happens, even if you're a Christian, even if you believe the gospel, is because your whole life has been living with these habits and these patterns of sinning. And that doesn't change overnight when you become a Christian. It actually takes hard work. The way Timothy is going to hear it in the book of 2 Timothy that Paul wrote to Timothy is that you have to train yourself for godliness. But through Christ, you actually have the ability to not only say no, but to practice disciplines in which your patterns and your habits change. You can actually begin that progress of reformation now. The way Paul said it in verse 13 is that we used to, our pattern, was presenting our, sin, our members of sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So we used to wake up in the morning and without knowing it, we would kind of bow down on these idols and we would offer our members, which is just us. It's our thoughts, our dreams, our behaviors, our intentions, our goals, our desires. We just kind of give life to whatever feeling was the first feeling to hit us in the morning. We just do the first thing we wanted to do. But Christ is reminding you, remember, you want to do this now. I've changed you. You're not the same way you are before. The power that sin had over you is dead. So that means you can actually wake up in the morning and you can present yourself to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You can present your body to God and say, God, I, generally, I genuinely, with all my heart, I actually want you to use me as an instrument. And that word doesn't mean like a musical instrument, like God, use me as a tuba. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, that word instrument, is actually closer to the idea of being a weapon. That you get to wake up in the morning and you can be picked up by Christ like a sword and you can cut through sin in your life. You can actually contribute to God glorifying himself in the world. You can actually contribute to destroying those things in your regular, ordinary life that are contributing to the destruction of the world. You can actually be a part of that now because you can actually wake up in the morning and present yourself to God in the most simple way possible, which is feeling a temptation or presence to sin and actually being able to say no. So you need to trust Christ and you need to remember your purpose in Christ. Here's the third thing. You need to accept your dependence on Christ. You need to accept your dependence on Christ. And this is so important because it's so easy, like we said, to struggle with salvation and assurance every single time we sin. But the reason is because we see our sin and we kind of get really passionate about it for a while. We feel we do something wrong and then we feel a lot of guilt and we kind of take our sin and we start strangling it. We're like, I'm going to get you. It's over. We get really, really excited and then we just fall right back into the same pattern. And the reason is because we're approaching sin as if we have conquered it. Whereas if I can just get really pumped, I can just get all of my will, and I can just start punching sin all over the place. I can just get a broom by myself that I found by myself, and I can start sweeping it up in my life. And that is the first habit that God wants to change. It's not complicated. The same Christ that conquered sin ultimately in your life and the penalty is the same Christ you need to keep going back to. Not just for his power, but for his presence. That you would want to grow close to Christ. You would want to develop a relationship with Christ. And as you do, you will find that the situation of dealing with sin in your life is not as complicated as you want to make it. I saw a really famous uh, sketch comedy thing today, and it kind of reminded me of this a bit. It was an older guy, he was a famous comedian, you know, just doing like a five-minute bit, and he's pretending to be a psychologist. And so he's sitting at his table, and then this woman comes in, and she's like, mister, I need help, I need so much help. You know, I, I heard you're a psychologist, so I came in, and I have some problems. You know, my problems is I'm claustrophobic, um, I have self-destructive relationships, I'm even afraid to drive. I can't be in small spaces. I'm a germaphobe. And so obviously she comes to the psychologist waiting to hear this big revolutionary tactic about all of the psychological things that need to change so that she can stop fearing these things. And this is what the comedian pretending to be a psychologist says. He says, I'm going to say two words to you right now, and I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. 
And then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate into your life. Ready? Okay. Here they are. Stop it! And just like gets him and goes, stop it! She's like, woo. Stop it! She's like, what do you mean? What do you think? Stop it! She's like, I, d I don't know what you mean. And he said, you know, no matter how many times I've said this to people, people keep coming back and asking me that same question. When I say stop it, I mean stop it. And everybody kind of gets the joke right away. It's like, isn't there something so much more complex, so many more tactics? And it's like, yes, the Bible talks about lots of ways in which wisdom helps you conquer sin in your life. But ultimately, the question is only two words. The answer is in Christ. You go to Christ and say, Christ, I can't deal with this sin. And Christ, and by his power and for his glory, he will start helping you clean up the sin in your life. When we take getting rid of sin totally away from Christ, we take glory away from God. Now, it's true that we are responsible to clean up sin in our life, and we're going to tackle that as we continue, but you won't be able to do it alone. Ultimately, all the power that you had to get out of hell was in Christ, and the power you have to defeat sin in your life is also in Christ. And as you exercise it in your life, and as you trust Christ, you remember your purpose in life, you will also be able to depend on him and go back to him again and again to stop doing this. And you'll see that as you study the heart and attitude of Christ in the Gospels. He says this in John chapter 10, verse 27 and 29. This is Christ. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I gave them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, because my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The more you study Christ, the more you will recognize his love for you. And the more you recognize his love for you, you will see the gifts and the inheritance that he has given to you in the gospel. Not just salvation, but sanctification. And the more you actually look at Christ, the easier it will be to depend on Christ and to have confidence to fight sin in your life because of Christ. And here's the fourth one, and we'll end with this, because I've been talking for a long time. The fourth thing you need to do is you need to enjoy your freedom in Christ. You need to enjoy your freedom in Christ. Paul says, ending this entire section in verse 14, that we are no longer under law, we are under grace. We can see how many things Christians need to obey. We can see how many rules there are for right living, and we can be so overwhelmed because we break God's law every single day but you've been freed from the fear of earning salvation. You've been freed from the fact that we were enslaved to thinking, I gotta make myself right with God. I better change or God will not be happy with me. You are already right with God in Christ. And the motivation of your life isn't just, well, I better clean up my life. It's, I have the ability to be free from this sin that is destroying this world. And it was destroying me. And all that's left is knowing God, growing close to God, because I've been invited into God's presence. And as I've been invited to walk closely with God and experience the love of God and the forgiveness of God in the gospel, I get to become like God. I get to take on his qualities. I get to take on his character. And that happens when I enjoy knowing God every single day. That every day I am invited to know the Trinitarian God of the whole universe. And I get to live with him. I'll end with this quote from John Owen who says this. Take a believer, take a believer who has tasted the graciousness of the Lord in the eternal love of the Father, the great undertaking of the Son in the work of mediation and redemption, and with the almighty work of the Spirit who creates grace and comfort in the soul. A believer who has an experience of the love and holiness and power of God in all of them. And he will, with more firm confidence, live according to that mysterious truth 
and be led in it and be confirmed in it through the simple, clear truth of the word. Every time you read the Bible and you believe it, you're being invited into close community with God. The God of the whole universe has invited you not only just to know him, but to actually change your nature so you can actually love him. You're still going to struggle with sin because when Christ returns one day, that is when the presence of sin will be defeated. And the rest of this series is going to be all about how do we deal with the presence of sin? Because as you reject the presence of sin for the presence of Christ, that's how you change. That's going to be the rest of the time. But today you need to know this. The entire Trinity is on your side. The whole Trinity, all of God is involved in changing you to grow to know him more and have confidence to walk in newness in life. And ultimately all of that is in Christ. You cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And because of that, anytime there is sin, you can know you're dead to it simply because of the fact that you believe the gospel. That the gospel is not just salvation, but it is the power to fight sin in your life and the ability to grow close with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel. You are so much greater than we think of you every single day. We so often limit your gospel to all of these things that we have to believe in order to be right with you. But the truth is, Lord, you've revealed who you are in the gospel. That rebellious, sinful people, ungodly people, people who should never enjoy your presence and never enjoy your company and should be judged by you because of our unworthiness to live in these bodies you've designed for your glory. You've designed a way that those people, us, might still approach you and not only be saved by you, but be sanctified by you, that we can trust that Christ has provided a way that we can fight sin, that when sin says obey, we might say, no, I obey Christ. I love Christ because Christ first loved me and gave his life for mine. And he gave his life for me. Lord, we know that you sent your son to die and live for us, not just so that the penalty of sin might be erased, but that the power of sin might be utilized in our lives, that our old selves might be useless and thrown into the garbage so that we might walk in this new life you've provided to do what we were always designed to do, to glorify you. Lord, give us hearts to glorify you. There's nothing on earth we want other than you. Give us the ability to depend on you, love you, and live for you. And we know we can trust your son to do these things for us. And so we thank you. And we pray all of these things, Father, in your matchless name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, just two really quick things for you before we leave. Um, we are instituting a kind of brand new 